Would you please stand and together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing, Brethren, we have met to worship, and then what a day that will be. Father in heaven, we come before you, and Lord, we do praise you and thank you. It is such a blessing to be able to lift up our voices in song and turn our hearts to you in prayer. Lord, help us to open our hearts and our ears to your truths today, that we might draw nearer to you and become conformed to your image. We thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
Amen. Let's together lift up our voices and you may remain seated as we sing Come People of the Risen King and then Living Hope. Come people of the risen King who delight to bring Him praise. Come all and tune your hearts to sing to the morning star of praise. From the shifting shadows of the earth we will lift our eyes to Steady arms of mercy reach to gather children in. Rejoice, rejoice, let every tongue rejoice. One heart, one voice, O Church of Christ, rejoice. Come those whose joy is morning sun and those weeping
Only Jesus, all the glory. 
to take your Bibles with me if you would turn to the book of Philippians we're going to look at two texts this morning Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 and then we're actually going to go over and really rest on Psalms 86 verse 15 title of the message this morning is possessing the mind of Christ it's interesting when you look into the scriptures and you find that the Bible over and over again emphasizes to us that we need to have the mind of God, the mind of Christ. Both Old Testament and New Testament challenges us to take the attributes of God and make them our own, that we might manifest God in us and through us. These two texts link all that together. And the reason it links together is because Christ is God. God left heaven above, came, took upon himself the form of a man, born of a virgin, lived three and a half years that he might go ahead and die on the cross for your sins and mine. When you look into these scriptures, we understand that the Bible is challenging us to be a Christian, not just in word, but in deed, and actually not even just in deed, but in mind and in heart. So as I read to you Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, listen to what God is challenging us about the way we perceive things and do things in our lives. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's just described for us in these five verses, the mind of Christ. And he links it into talking to you and I about comfort of love and fellowship with the Holy Spirit and bowels and mercies towards others. And he challenges them to fulfill his joy as the apostle, as God inspires them to write these words. And then he goes on to say that these things are the mind of Christ. But I told you we're going to look at two scriptures. We're going to look at this text here that talks to us about the mind of Christ. But I want you to go with me, if you would, to Psalm 86 in your Old Testament. Look down with me at verse 15. It says, But thou, O Lord, 
art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. When we look at that one verse, he's giving to us the attributes and mind of God. When we look over there in Philippians, we see the attributes and mind of Christ. And we see how they line up and link together. And the interesting thing is the Bible says to you and I, we need to have the mind of Christ. We need to have the mind of God. We need to bear the and show forth those attributes and the way of thinking that are there. But this is not the only text in the book of Psalms that references and reflects on the mind of God. I'm going to read to you several. Psalm 86 verse 5 says, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. When you go over to Psalm 103 verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Look with me over at Psalms 111. We look down at verse 4. It says to us, He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Look with me at Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Over and over again, talking about these specific things that manifest the attributes of God in relational ways. So when he says to you and I that we ourselves need to have the mind of God, then we understand that he's really talking to us about our practical daily living, how to treat others, how to, how to contemplate situations and respond to them in dealing with the people around us. Now this doesn't mean that God is all one side, that he's only compassionate and long-suffering and gracious. No, he's also a God who has the side of judgment and perspective and truth. In fact, when you come to Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, it says, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. That verse simply reminds us that all things are in balance with God. While yes, absolutely, he's a God who shows forth that, that compassion, that grace, that long-suffering, that mercy, that truth. But yet at the same time, he's not going to go ahead and just make the iniquity of the guilty as if it never happened. You and I as individuals, we understand there should be consequences for our behavior. Sadly, we live in a society in a time where they try to erase the consequences which only fans the flames of disobedience. But God is not that way. While yes, he wants to forgive, there has to come repentance. As we look at these verses, in Psalm 86, verse 15, as we look at these attributes of God, 
where God says that we need to possess his mind. We need to manifest his attributes. Let's look at them individually. Let's contemplate how these apply to us. So listen again with me to Psalm 86, verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion. Years ago, I, one of the farmers in the church was going through the attic of his house that was built back in the 17, 1800s. And he came by the office and he brought me a book. He said, Pastor, I found this up in the attic of my farmhouse. And he said, I want to give it to you. And what it is, is a dictionary. It's Perry's Royal Standard English Dictionary. And it's an original copy printed in 1788. And it is the exact same English structure as our King James Bible. And so I keep that and every once in a while I go back and I look through it and look up the definitions that applied into the 16 and 1700s and how they reflect on today. When we look at this particular verse here and we see this word compassion in Perry's Royal Standard English Dictionary, which was the first printing of the English language in America, printed right in Worcester, Massachusetts. So their definition of compassion is to have pity. Now, sometimes when we hear the word pity, we make it a negative instead of a positive. We kind of make it as if we somehow are degrading the other person, showing pity. But in reality, it's really just showing compassion, caring, being moved by the circumstances of other people. That's what genuine pity or compassion is. So when we look at the scriptures and we begin to understand God, and it tells us that he is a God that's full of compassion, it means that he looks from heaven above and he looks down upon us and he sees who and what we are. It's interesting that the Bible says God remembers that we are made from dust. You and I are the elements of the earth, the world we live in, compiled by God with the breath of God breathed into us. We're not gods. We are the creation of God. We are frail. We are flawed. We do struggle. And God looks down from heaven above and he understands and he has compassion. <laughs> now, does that mean that he dismisses our frailty? No, just the opposite. He paid for our frailty on the cross, but he is compassionate towards you and I. Even as he was standing at Lazarus's tomb, if you'll remember back into your gospels, there he stood and it tells us that he wept. He had compassion. Your scriptures also tell you how that Jesus stood upon the Mount of Olives and he was looking over Jerusalem and he cried out with compassion for the people of that time. In fact, Matthew 23, verse 37 says, he cried out and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, 
How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Christ's compassion, as he looked at his brethren, his people, his society, those of Jerusalem, and he says, so often I just desired to gather you up as a hen would her chicks under her wing. But you would not. I've given the illustration before how that when I was a kid, my parents raised chickens. And, but we lived on an old farmhouse with an old dilapidated barn. And back then, free range was what everything was. Now it's cool and, and you know, it's kind of the hip thing to do is have free range chickens. Everybody had free range chickens. So our chickens just ran around. They ran around in the, uh, the old barn. They ran around the place. They got on mom's car. That never made her happy. But as a little kid, those chickens would have little baby chicks. And I used to love to run up to them because all those chicks would run to the hen and she would squat right over them with those wings to protect those little baby chicks. And as a little boy, that was just so amazing. I could do that all day long. Maybe I could even today, I don't know. <laughs> and that's what Jesus said as he looked out over the city of Jerusalem. As he looked at those folks, he said, I'm moved with compassion. I want to gather you and protect you and care for you, even as that hen with those chicks. But he said to them, you would not. You and I, the scriptures call us to have that compassion, to be moved by people's circumstances in their lives, to care enough about them, to be motivated to try, at least try to do something to help others. So when we look in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1 through 5, and we see him talk about this love and this caring, this this, this compassion. And when we come to Psalms and we see it over again, listed time and time again as the attribute of God, we understand that we ourselves should be a compassionate people. It's easy to be a hard nose. It's easy to say, I don't care. But God says we should care. We should be touched by others. As we go back to Psalm 86, look again with me at the text in verse 15. He says, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious. So I went back and I looked in Perry's Royal Standard English Dictionary. And there I looked up gracious as it was defined in the 16 and 1700s. And gracious simply means to be kind. That's not an expensive thing, is it? That's, that's something anybody can do. All of us can be kind. And it is interesting when we look in the scriptures and it tell us, tells us that God is gracious. He is kind. He shows that gracious outflowing of himself. Giving of himself to help others. It's not hard to be kind. It might be a little self-sacrificing to be kind. 
Because maybe it's easier to be not kind. But God is kind. And you and I in our lives, all the time we encounter circumstances that tap into that opportunity to simply be kind. We have to look for that. We have to be open to that. We need to take the opportunity to do it. But he's talking about a little bit more than doing it. He's actually talking to you and I about having the mind of Christ. For it to be a part of us. For it to be part of our attributes, our thinking, our process. So maybe in, in and of yourself, you find yourself not all that kind. God says, start praying about it. Ask him to help you to begin to be kind. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It's a simple thing. We talk about how that most of the things we live in life, we learn in kindergarten. And if I were to have uh, Jesse come up, and I would say, Jesse, come up and tell me about teaching the kids to be kind in the preschool, in kindergarten. It's not a hard thing, would it? I... Maybe hard to get him to do it. <laughs> but it's not a hard thing to teach. But it needs to be a part of the mindset here. So that it's actually who we are. It should be said that you and I as Christians, we are kind. We're gracious to others. That is what he's telling us about God. It's telling us that God is kind. People try to make out that he's not kind, that he's mean, he's harsh. But God is balanced. He is kind. But neither is he going to go ahead and let the iniquity of evildoers be as if they were not done. He is just and balanced. But let's go back to our text there in Psalm 86. And I want you to look at the third attribute of God that God is challenging us to possess the mind of, to make it who we are. He says not only is he full of compassion, gracious, but long-suffering. You find the word long-suffering all through the Bible. A lot in the New Testament talks about being long-suffering. And I think it's because the Bible is really about you and I. It's about our humanity and our relationship with God. It's about who he is in relationship to us. And he knows that we as a human race have a problem. That is why he's compassionate. Because he sees we have a problem. And part of our problem is we're not all that long-suffering. We're not all that patient. By nature, we want it now and we want it our way. Not only do we want it our way, we don't want to be disappointed when we get it if we didn't understand that really that's not really what we wanted. We still want it our way. It's a loop of, of no matter what we want it, now, the way we want it, no exceptions, no tolerance, no patience. And God says, no, you need to be long-suffering. We live in an agricultural community. Maybe that's beginning to wane as the years go by. But we do live in an agricultural community. 
When you drive around, you still see nice fields, don't you? Uh, I was driving up from Middlebury yesterday morning. I was coming up and for some reason it just caught my eye that there was a, a field out there all plowed. And I thought to myself, that field's all brown. I didn't see any snow in it, but I they surely didn't just plow it. I just, it's the process of my thinking. And I thought to myself, that's a nice field. Now maybe you wouldn't think that. I looked at it and I thought, that's a nice field. That field looks good. But you know, as I was looking at that field, it's all turned, it's all ready. But come spring, they're going to have to do yet more, aren't they? Aren't they going to have to go in and they're going to have to uh, take the disc harrows and, and they're going to have to break down those big turned plowed clumps of dirt. They'll have to disc harrow that, then they'll come through and then they'll plant it. And then something's going to happen. What's, what's going to happen? They're going to have to wait. They don't put the seed in the ground in the next day harvest, do they? No. Nobody I know does anyways. You know, you put that seed in the ground and every spring it's a wait and see. Are we going to get enough rain? Is there going to be in too much rain? Is there going to be enough sun? Is the ground going to warm up fast enough to get the corn in? Who knows what all that is built into that. But we live in a culture and a society with agriculture where we understand that good things come in time. We've got a couple ladies in the church that are going to be having babies. And uh, in fact, they're, they're both sitting in the back corner there. So if you're worried about that happening to you, don't sit in that back corner. <laughs> but you know that that takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. In fact, how long does it take? Somebody know? Nine months. Nine months is a long time if you're the one doing it. But you're going to be patient. Long-suffering. So as I looked at that term, long-suffering, it means patience in the face of offense. Patience in the face of trial. So it's a little more than just being patient. It's kind of like a pregnancy. It all starts off great, unless you've got the morning sickness thing. That's not great. But it all starts out great. But after a while, and it's never happened to me, but after a while, they tell me that, you know, there's, there's bladder struggles, there's breathing issues, there's sleeping troubles, lots of stuff because you've got a human being living in there and growing every day. Now you've got to be patient with trial. Amen? Amen. Sandra, Joe, and I, we had two kids. And we lived in the day when um, the whole birthing cycle, it had changed, just changed, from the dad waiting out in the waiting room and the doctor coming in and just saying, yes, you have a boy or a girl. Well, it had just changed. And there was this whole process. You had to do classes and books. You had to learn how to coach your wife. And you went into the room. You know, and it was quite intimidating. 
Um, I've never had children before. Sandra Joe had never had children before. And then part of it is, I'm supposed to coach her to have a baby. They literally called us a coach. And so they, they said, you know, you come in, you hold her hand, you tell her how to breathe. So it sounds good. It sounds good. I was one. In hindsight, I wonder how many of those people actually lived through that themselves. I don't know. But we got in there, and, and Sandra Joe on the overall is pretty patient, and I'm, I work on being patient. But man, when the time comes, it's an intense moment. And I'm holding her hand. And I'm debating telling her how to breathe. Because <laughs> I'm not sure she's breathing exactly the way the book and the little training said. I can tell you I did not tell her how to breathe. <laughs> she worked that out on her own. But even in the midst of that trial, you have to be long-suffering and caring about each other. Amen? I didn't want her turning all that energy she had there on me. <laughs> Just focus on you. When you look at a text like this, you understand that God is saying to you and I, we need to be patient even in the face of adversity in our lives. And he's telling us not only do we need to do it, but he says have the mindset of doing it. So that no matter what comes into your life, as you face it, your mindset is being long-suffering, being patient in the face of adversity. We certainly find that with the Lord Jesus Christ. He came with a purpose. He came for the sole purpose to die for your sins and mine, to fulfill all those Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah coming. So he couldn't be impatient. He couldn't go ahead and fly off the handle and just decide, well, I've had enough of this. These people, they're, they're ungrateful. They're unkind. I desire to bring them in and protect them, but they won't. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just going to go back. He didn't do that. He was patient even in the face of adversity. Even them mocking him, beating him, crucifying him, still, he did what he came to do. But as we look here in the text, Psalm 86, look down with me at verse, 80, uh, verse 15 again. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and then he adds in here, and I want you to note the word plenteous, lots, a lot of. He's saying, you are plenteous in mercy and truth. So he amps it up, doesn't he? He increases the bushels. He says, you are plenteous in mercy. So I went back, of course, to my old dictionary that was written in the 1700s, because I wanted to really understand in the 1600s, 1700s, in the Old English, exactly what's it mean when it says that he was plenteous, had lots and lots of mercy. Mercy simply means to show tenderness, 
pardon. To pardon others. To care enough to let it go. That's not always easy to do, is it? You know, it's, it's much easier to just kind of wear a chip on your shoulder and everybody who says anything or does anything, you just, oh. But he says to us, no, he says, you need to be merciful. You need to be that person who has a tenderness, a pardon attitude, a, a let it go attitude. Now, I know that that doesn't make you a macho person, but maybe it does makes you a stronger person to be able to go ahead and look at life and understand, listen, things happen. People do say things that offend us. Things are done that hurt us. But why not show mercy? Do we really all want to be held to account for everything we say and do? No, we don't. We expect others to be merciful. We expect others to go ahead and pardon us. You don't hear that word much anymore, pardon me. But it simply means, excuse me. Meaning, can we let it go? Would you show mercy to me? And in each of our lives, he's saying, put on that mindset. Take upon yourself that mindset. Instead of being that person who just always is on the edge, that person who's always got a chip on their shoulder, that person who's always ready to be set on. He says, be a person who's plenteous, lots of mercy in your life. We were talking the other day, getting ready for Marge's funeral. And Katie and her Aunt Linda were in my office talking about Marge. And they were talking about how very, she would let things go. She was a merciful, gracious person. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be remembered for? I mean, when you're 97 years old, which is the age Marge was when she passed away, wouldn't you love to have people say, you know what? One of the great things about grandma or great-grandma or great-great-grandma or granddad because we don't want to just hone in on the ladies. <clears throat> they were somebody who could just let it be. I always feel bad for families who say, yeah, no, I haven't talked to my sister or my aunt or my mother or whoever it is for years. Why? Well, I don't remember. Doesn't matter. I just know that we don't talk anymore. No, it does matter. Come on. Life is short, but it's also long. Let's go ahead and let's be gracious. Let's be long-suffering. Let's be plenteous in mercy. But then the last one he touches on is truth. It tells us here, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, Plenteous in mercy and truth. So plenteous in truth as well. And I went back and I looked it up. I think I know what truth means. It's pretty basic. Uh, but it simply means to be honest. Truthful. That's, that's pretty straightforward. 
I don't think there's any of us in here who don't understand what it means to be honest, to be truthful. It shouldn't be that we're a liar or a deceiver or a manipulator. It should be that we are upfront and outright truthful in our lives. John 1.17 tells us, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's a bold statement. When Jesus Christ came, he brought grace and truth. You see, that's the balance. Yes, I'm gracious. Yes, I let it go. Yes, I forgive. But I also face the reality of truth. When you look at John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus identified himself as truth. And here the text tells us that the mind of God is plenteous in truth. It's the balance of who we need to be. We can't be so foolish that we close our eyes to truth. I, I am amazed at some of the foolishness that goes on in our world today that we blind our eyes from reality. As if to not recognize it or acknowledge it changes it. It does not. Truth is truth. Years ago, Louie and I were on visitation. I see Louie back here. And we were up in his neighborhood going on visitation. And we went to visit one of his neighbors. And a dog came running out. You remember this, Louie? You remember it. <laughs> so this dog came out. And all of a sudden, that dog got down in this position like this. And Louie looked at me. He said, that dog's going to bite us. <laughs> now, I didn't think to myself that was a positive at all. And so that dog kept in that stance and came right up around, came around. Both Louie and I are watching it. It's not that we were ignoring it. And in a blink of an eye, that dog came and bit Louie right in the backside. <laughs> Now, if I had looked at Louie and said, no, that's not a dog. That's a cat. It's not going to bother you. Would it have changed it? No. No. We live in a day and age where people look at things and they say, oh, that's not, that's not that. It's that. Be like me coming in today and saying, well, you know what? I'm not a male. Today I decided to be a female. Now... I've got kids, and I've been married for, how long, Sandra John? <laughs> this summer will, no, next month will be 45 years. <laughs> February will be 45 years. Now, I can go ahead and change my hairdo, although there's not a lot to do. I can change my clothes, I can change the way I walk and the way I talk, but do you know what I cannot change? What, how I was born. I can go ahead and even, I can surgically alter it, but I can't change how I was born. 
We live in a crazy day and age where truth no longer is truth. And it's perplexing. But do you know the Bible calls us to truth? You and I, we have to be wise enough to not be fools. And in so many areas of our lives. I'm gonna, and I'm going to bring this to a very practical point. If you receive in your mail bills and you push them aside, do they go away? What actually happens? It gets worse. They start to find you. They start to call you. They, start, they might come repossess something. To deny truth is foolishness. So when we look to this text, it tells us God has the mind. And he says, you and I need to have the mind of God. We need to have the mind of Christ. And with all the compassion, and we need to be compassionate, with all the grace, with all the patience and long-suffering, even in the face of adversity. And yes, even with all the mercy that we can show forth, we have to have the balance of truth. That's what keeps us in life in balance. My challenge to you this morning is let's take upon ourselves the mind of Christ. It will make our lives better because we will interact with others better. But that doesn't mean that we become so foolish that we dismiss truth. When Jesus came, he brought mercy, grace, long-suffering. He brought all of those attributes, but he didn't leave truth behind. He brought truth. And the truth is we're all sinners. We all need compassion. And God so loved us. He was so compassionate towards us. That in his mercy and grace. He paid for our sin on the cross. And he calls us. Come. Come unto me. And here he challenges us. Have the mind of God. Father in heaven as we close our service this morning. We praise you and thank you for truly, Lord, your attributes are what beckoned us and drew us to you. And we praise you for the truth that helped us to see that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Thank you for the price paid that we might find salvation in you. I pray that you be with us as we go forth. Help us to have the mind of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.